my uh, my boy is teething at the moment, and uh, we we got up today at five o'clock in the morning. So that's that's nice. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to episode 20 of iFreaks. This week on our panel we have Pete Hodgson. Good morning from San Francisco. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and we have a special guest and that's Jason, is it Felice? It's Felice, that's right. Uh, hello from Detroit this time. I do that just to make Pete laugh. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. I was... <laughs> uh, I was, I, I was about to say, like, I you, was know, you, you, you did the episode number, and I was like thinking, should I remind him? Should I not remind him? I shouldn't say anything. <laughs> no, I was, I was seriously actually thinking, um, I should ask Jason just to make sure I know how to say his last name. And I was like, nope, I'm going to do this just for Pete. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well, I'm touched. Thank you very much. So, Jason, since you're new to the show, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Oh, sure. That's probably the hardest question. Um, I have been doing mobile development for, I don't know, what, three years or something like that? Well, I mean, it depends on what you count. I've I've done some embedded development before that, and some uh, DOS tells on stuff back in the day, some like 90-something. And mostly I've been a Linux person, uh, which is why I found first a home with iPhone stuff, and I've done some Android I think the big focus that I have is on creating uh, expressive, beautiful code and helping people to do that because I think a lot of people just haven't been exposed to really expressive code, yeah, especially when we're talking uh, mobile environment. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean by expressive code? This is a this is a good sidebar conversation we can talk about. Uh, uh, well... I'm interested particularly in expressive code in Objective-C. Because <laughs> that seems like kind of a... It's, a, it's an interesting language for that kind of stuff, I think. It, it, it is, um, yes. And, you know, and, there, and that brings up an interesting question, which is, like, how much of the language do you have to know before code is expressive? Because everybody that I have actually worked with uh, brought into Objective-C and tutored them, like, for the first couple of weeks, you know, great programmers who weren't familiar with it. Like the first two weeks, they're just like, I, I don't even see code. Like, it just looks like ASCII. I'm not even <laughs> sure what's going on here. Right? That, that's the response that I've got. And, and then, it's, and it's interesting because after a week or two, they're like, oh, okay, got it. Right. I, I think it's, I, I mean, I think it has to do with the square braces and indentation, the way that it uses it being different from most other languages. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I've seen, um, you know, Kiwi makes, uh, nice expressive tests for the most part. Uh, that, that's, that's sort of the DSL approach. Um, just writing stuff that is simple and direct with small methods is another part of it, right? Mm-hmm. And isolating concerns, you know, being thoughtful about isolating concerns is another huge part of it. And I don't think those things really are attached to the language much. Yeah, I guess that's true. A lot of, a lot of the kind of good good software principles kind of transcend, at least transcend the language. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I, I like the fact that Objective-C has at least kind of a tradition of uh, expressive, overly verbose sometimes, but expressive method names. You know, like 
uh, doesn't have that C background of, of, of we only have four, four characters to use for this variable name or whatever. Right, yeah. I guess that's Fortran, maybe Fortran Heritage, something like that. But yeah. yeah. Well, the various C compilers had limits. There was an A character limit for some C compilers at one point. Oh, yeah. I think I remember hearing someone talking about that recently. Well, I'm glad we don't live in those days anymore. <laughs> so we brought you on the show to talk about iOS programming in Vim. Yes. Is, is yeah. such a thing possible? And is such a thing desired? It's definitely possible, and I definitely do it. Desirable? Well, I think that depends on the person, right? Uh, for some people, Vim is like, oh my god, that's a relief. It's other people, Vim is like, why are you putting me through this hell? Mm-hmm. So there's that, right? There's, I mean, there's lots of corners to work around with Xcode. So, uh, you know, Apple gives you this big bundle and says, here's how you develop software, right? And then there's like, uh, you know, there's like IB tool is somewhere in the bundle and you have to be able to run it if you want to be able to work from the command line and you have to know where it is and there's no documentation because it just all magically works when you're in Xcode. And I found an incredible amount of stuff about that, right? There's like stuff that is just sort of documented by world tradition, we'll say, right? <laughs> I run into somebody at a Coca Heads and they're like, oh, did you know about this tool? And it can do this and this and this, and you can do it like this. And, uh, and I'd be like, no, I didn't know about that. And that like solves one little piece of how I can like, you know, keep Xcode minimized while I'm developing. Interesting. So I thought that, I thought that you were going to be saying that you use some kind of plugin or something with Xcode, but, you, but you're saying you use like straight Vim, uh, like regular Vim, is that right? I do. Yes. Um, uh, there is an X, there is an Xcode plugin, and I actually keep it installed as, because you know uh, there there's a time or two I need to go into Xcode. I still can't add files to a project in Vim. There there's a, I, there are some utilities that do that for me, but I haven't been I haven't integrated that into my workflow yet. And presumably you have to still fire up Xcode for Interface Builder. Yes. So yeah. it was, was it Xcode 4 where they integrated it into Xcode? I'm not sure. I was using it before that, just before that happened, and I was like, I had like a nice comfortable Vim workflow, and I did that, and I was like, oh, <laughs> sad trombo. <laughs> uh, so is, is the primary reason that you try and do things in Vim just that you've kind of... Uh got the the mental or muscle memory for for vim and its key bindings or is there more to it than that there's two big reasons the the muscle memory is not insignificant right so i've been using vim for something like 12 years um and uh you know and i still learn stuff new stuff about it every time i pair with somebody um but it's but I've definitely reached that point where I'm much more effective in manipulating code with Vim than I am with an IDE where, uh, you know, as soon as I get into an IDE that doesn't have a Vim plugin, it's like I have to use the arrow keys to move around. I mean, I have to go up 25 lines by hitting up arrow 25 times, right? <laughs> or do, or wait, do I, do I grab that stone on my table to move it? I, I don't know, you know? And, and that's, I still find that frustrating. So the stone on your table, you mean your mouse? Yes. Get a uh, trackpad. It's easier. <laughs> I'm I do just kidding. It is easier. <laughs> it is easier, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, I used to have a nub mouse in the middle of my keyboard back before I got it. Oh, out. I remember those. Yeah. yeah and, um, like, 
I, I had somehow got so used to it that I could like do it without moving my hands from the keyboard. And it was, I remember being enamored with it. Um, and then every time I go back to it, I'm like, Oh God, this is awful. <laughs> so I, I don't know what I was thinking, but still, I, I still, the, the mouse transition is still pretty rough for me. Um, so that's the one half of the reason. And the other half of the reason has to do with the tool chain. And I was the CTO of a Linux-based company for seven years, and I want an open tool chain. I mean, I want to write a makefile, and I want to know the sequence of steps that builds my software. And I want to know, um, and I want to make that pliable, right? So um, I wrote, um, at a previous employer, I wrote an iPad game. Uh, it's also available on the iPhone called Polar Puzzles. And as a game, it has to build sprite sheets. It has to do all sorts of, you know, compile data files as part of its build process. The things that we went through in order to get Xcode to do this were pretty intricate. Uh, I mean, we had like run scripts in different places and we ended up basically writing an application in a run script to, you know, uh, Packing sprites into a sprite sheet is not like, it's like an MP complete problem. It's not like a computationally easy thing. And so we, you know, we made sure that it ran on all the cores on the system that was running the build and we still had 10 minute builds. And so we had to do all sorts of things. We had to do our own dependency tracking where we basically reinvented make to say, you know, we have these input files, they haven't changed. So the output files need to be rebuilt. And then it would be wrong every so often because, you know, it's it's sort of green spunning for make, right? It's a bug-ridden half implementation of make in a run script in the <laughs> film. And I think that, you know, I just, and that's the kind of experience that I keep remembering. It's probably my selection bias, right? But I, I think I just want to see the tool chain and I just want to be there to, like, change it and make sure that it works, it's doing what I want it to do. So when you say you want to see the toolchain, are you saying you're actually like, are you still using Xcode build or are you using like GCC or LLVM and actually dropping that far down into the into the guts of what Xcode does? I, I will typically start a project using Xcode build. I would love to. Uh, I have seen different projects uh, and I haven't like done one from scratch that gets rid of Xcode build and uses the tools directly, which... Is hard because actually some of the tools you'll notice if you look at the output, some of the tools don't actually exist in the file system <laughs> that Xcode build runs. Oh, oh wow! wow. Yeah, there's, like mounts there's, a developer image or something. No, it's not like it mounts a dev. I don't know what it does, but there's things like uh, it was an IB tool, but there was something like, but it was something like you'll see it says IB tool dash internal is running on this thing. Oh wow. Yeah, and I don't I don't know the details of that, right? But I found a workaround for it, whatever it was. I don't remember the detail, but but there's stuff like that. So, so do you at this point have a build uh, process that works outside of Xcode, or do you still wind up going back to Xcode then? I usually, yeah, I, I, I would say eighty percent of the time I'm using Xcode build, and uh, well. Maybe all the time. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the, the times that I've saw. I, I think it's other people's projects where I've seen the details about 
um, running tools directly from a makefile. Interesting. Hmm. Have you tried out XC, uh, what's it called, XC tool, the Facebook, like, better version of X, Xcode build? No, I have not. I don't know that you I've should seen. definitely check that out. It's like Xcode build that doesn't that doesn't suck so much. Um, Interesting. I think I think it's called XC tool. I'll I'll check and I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay. That sounds interesting. What what about things like your tests and stuff like that? Do you run all of that outside of Xcode? Yes. I mean, I, I often trigger that with Xcode build to start, um, but I um, that is actually one of the first things that I do in a project is I will have um, I, I usually have Kiwi set up. That, that's my preferred testing for iOS. Um, I, but I'll usually get uh, some Kiwi test set up. My first thing says, you know, assert error, like truth is false or something, and it will fail, and then I'll make that run. Um, and I set up the script and some Vim config so that, in my case, comma, comma is what I map to run the tests. And I have some uh, script that will run the tests and go to the first build error or test failure, whichever happens first, or say okay and report the you know the number of seconds that the run took. Because uh, and that's part of the reason that um, that's a big reason that I moved to using Vim um, for iOS development was because I have a tight inner TDD loop. And Xcode is a little rough with that for me. Mm-hmm. It, running the test is often, uh, you know, so there's there's an easy keystroke for running the tests, and you can tell whether it failed or succeeded, but tracking down the error is often really hard. You know, sometimes exceptions are caught and reported in, in a strange way, and then some, and then there's always that seg fault that you get in the test runner when you when you write a test that, you know, accesses memory wrong or something. And tracking that down is really hard with Xcode, whereas, you know, I have my script can, like, basically say, hey, it has failed, and it can point me, it can give me more information, although not always the same, and not so always does it, as much as I like. Does it throw up the, the kind of, like, the test results in, or the f- test failures in, like, the quick fix thing, and you can just kind of navigate over to them, or is it a little bit more kind of less interactive than that? It is the quick fix. Um, that is what I use. And the, this, the script essentially says, whereas there build errors or test failure errors, if so, go into quick fix mode after setting this really hairy error format that knows about cling errors, which are remarkably hard to parse. <laughs> and um, also about Kiwi errors, which are sort of non-standard. So you're pausing... Uh, Clang and Kiwi errors in Vim script. Well, um, yes. I mean, there's a there's a pattern. There's the error format variable is something that you set with a, a set of patterns that it uses to match what the errors are in the in the error file in C file. Okay. And so I have that set up with a. It's you know that the facility to do that is not sophisticated. So as a result, it's like eleven lines long for matching all the different kinds of errors you can find. And it still doesn't get like linker errors at this moment, but it's there. Is it up online somewhere that we can all? Uh, uh, yes. Take- so I have most of the stuff that I've done 
Um, and I can send this as one of the links. Uh, most of the stuff that I've done, I've documented on a blog, objvimmer.com. Um, and there's lots of snippets of code um, and uh, from Vim, and uh, there's some old screencasts that are available for free there uh, that document how to do this. And some awesome styling as well. This is a this is a lot of Vim <laughs> style. This is an awesome theme. <laughs> did you make the theme for this, or did you did yes, you find it? Yes, I did. In fact, that is also this is like seriously act shaving. You're like, I need to tell tell people about Objective C and Vim, <laughs> so therefore I will spend a lot of time writing CSS. <laughs> <laughs> CSS. Oh, this looks great. CSS wasn't too hard. The JavaScript for the uh, changing tabs was the hard part. This is awesome. So I I can imagine that people hear this and they're, you know, they wonder what parts of your workflow you, you know, you've managed to move over to Vim versus what's in, uh, in Xcode. And we've kind of talked about some with interface builder and some of these other things, but, uh, what else have you managed to move over that people are kind of surprised at that you can do in, in, uh, Vim? Hmm. Ah, that's a question. So, it feels like I should have an answer for that. Like, I know of things, and I just can't recall them at the moment. Um, I can, I can oh, waylay you into an answer if oh, you yes. want. Oh, absolutely. I, I do know one. Code completion. The exact same code completion that Xcode uses can be available in Vim after some configuration paid. Oh, wow. Hmm. I can complete uh, Objective-C methods. Um, I can complete... Uh, you know, any C identifier, uh, imports, etc. The part with the imports is kind of hard to keep in sync, but it, um, there's a plugin called clang underscore complete. Um, there's also a newer one that I've looked at and um, was going to try for my next project, but I haven't had a next project yet. I don't remember the name of that one off the top of my head. But they both use the fact that Clang was built as a compiler front end that was supposed to be integrated with IDEs. Um, so the completion is just a library. You can fire it up. If you configure your paths and everything correctly, uh, you can get that code completion. That is actually one of the biggest complaints, which is why I tell people about that. Like, why would you code in Vim? Like, I don't want to have to type the Subjective-C method name that's like 270 characters long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can tell you that that was one of the things that threw me off coming to Objective-C was long method names. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, yeah. So, so with this, with, with this completion thing, is it just kind of, does it work the same way as the regular, uh, autocomplete where you hit control P or whatever and, and it just fills in the blank? So you type control X O, um, and that's for Omnicomplete. And Omnicomplete okay. is something in Vim that has a lot of different plugins. And one of them, uh, you, you can set up if you have Python built into your Vim and uh, this Clang Complete plugin, you can set it up to actually use the Clang compiler to suggest completions. Okay, I think that's. I think I. I guess I rebound. That to control P or something because that's I think omnicomplete is what what I'm thinking of. That's cool. So it just knows about and does it have enough context to know like? Well, presumably, yeah. It just it just auto completes stuff that makes sense given the given the variable that you're calling a method on. Right. Awesome. So for a project, it's a little bit hard to set up. I mean, the the easiest way I found is you run Xcode build. 
and scrape the output for like, you know, you find the first compile of a file and it has like, you know, 117 flags, right? <laughs> you have to put, you have to put that into a dot clang complete file in your, uh, in the root of the project so that the clang complete knows all the configuration of how to compile the file. Um, but it works and I, I use it. So, Cool. Yep. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I that's one of the things that I really like about IDEs. I'm I'm, a, I'm definitely a Vim fan, and I use it particularly with dynamic languages like Ruby or JavaScript. But um, for static languages, the one thing I I always get excited about having an IDE for is the is the code completion. So that's pretty that's pretty awesome. Does that? Uh, does it do? Um, can you kind of do code navigation? So can you kind of say, take me to the implementation of this method and that kind of thing? I don't know because I don't use a feature like that, I guess. I, 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 I would guess no, but um, I have uh, my own system of navigation for uh, uh, Objective-C uh, projects mm-hmm. based on headers being named the same as the um, .m files and spec files being the named the same thing but with spec on them. That made it really easy to make a plugin that has the same kinds of stuff as rails.vim has, which is, you know, go to alternate file, go to related file. And it makes it really easy for me to jump around and I don't, so I don't use claying for navigation. The okay. other the, the other thing that I do use for navigation occasionally when I get it set up is if you find a patched version of exuberant C tags that has Objective-C support and install it on your system, you can build a tags tag file for your entire project, which allows you to jump to the definition of any identifier by, oh, using, okay. uh, by using control right square brace. So I think that would be, that would give you almost everything. That would definitely give me all of everything that I would like uh, that I would use in a um, in terms of code navigation. It's just basically take me to where this thing was defined, mm. and then you know take flipping back and forth between headers and headers and .m files. It would be actually, uh, and then you get the bonus of of being able to kind of jump jump to the test file as well, which which I don't think. Well, I'm sure you can do it with Xcode somehow, but it definitely doesn't come out of the box with Xcode. Right. Well, yeah, that's one of those things. So whenever I'm in Xcode, it's like, there's only one counterpart to this file? No, there's two counterparts to this file. I know. Yeah, you know, that's really funny. I never thought, do they, with with the new, like, um, the assistant editor thing in Xcode, it knows about lots of different things. Does it know about tests, or did it not occur to anyone at uh, Cupertino that people write tests? You should check that. Do either of you two know? I don't. Oh, I guess, and I guess, Jason, you wouldn't because you don't use Xcode. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Have you experimented with using app code rather than uh, Xcode? I've logged probably an hour total in app code. Uh, I've worked with a developer who was really fond of it, and I fired it up, and I don't remember much about what I thought about it. It did have a Vim plugin. I do know that much. Like yeah. Keys. And they worked. I remember that much. I mean, I know that I, I I work with some some people at my current client who use IntelliJ with Vim key bindings, 
and also a totally blank keyboard, which is really fun to pair with this guy. It's like, he's like the anti-pairer. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that would make it better if it was like a Dvorak blank right. keyboard. <laughs> I, was, I have was, a feeling he doesn't have a mouse as well. <laughs> nice. um, I, yes, I've, yeah, I've worked with coders like that. I'm using uh, a modified Dvorak. Right. <laughs> oh, there you go. Because <laughs> if you were lost on Dvorak. <laughs> Anyway, he uses, uh, yeah, he uses the Vim, uh, the Vim plugin for IntelliJ, which, which would be the same, you know, the same thing for, for AppCode, because they're all pretty much the same IDE under the covers. And, uh, I, I, I was tooling around with that, and it actually was pretty cool. It, it felt pretty close to using, using Vim. I mean, I didn't use it for more than 10 minutes, and, and I didn't have any keys on the keyboard that I could read, so that made it a bit more challenging to assess the suitability of this tool. But, uh, that's funny it's it's, yeah. it's also interesting i was a vim user for a long time and then um, i started using emacs and it was actually a pretty easy transition it just seemed to i don't know it seemed like there was always something that i could uh find to fit my needs a little bit better with emacs but i, I really do like vim. emacs today charles i know <laughs> but just uh just kidding I would be curious if anyone out there has done the same kind of thing with Emacs. One question I do have, though, is what kinds of things do you wish your tool chain had? I mean, what what oh. kinds of things do you wish you could figure out with, with this setup? That opens actually a whole other sort of part of uh, the way that I am trying to develop. Uh, so there's like... Um, I, I started using programming in Scheme a long time ago, probably 2002, three. I don't know. I'm always guessing because if it wasn't last week, I don't remember. And I have been learning a bunch of Lisps and Clojure lately, and uh, I've been following uh, uh, mobile development with uh, Scheme and the Lisps. And the thing that I like about these languages is the code is data and the data is code. And the reason why I like that for mobile development is because the way that we currently do mobile development contains lots of data files. Um, this is like the interface builder stuff, the Android manifest, um, all these sorts of things that are, that affect code and have to agree with code but end up being these data files and they're hard to manage. So I would love an environment where I could write in a scheme or a Lisp or um, closure and get this stuff boiled down, you know, declared in my code, you know, stuff like, uh, I, can, I can think of an easy Android example right now, which is... Um, I'm going to create this activity and it's going to map to this and it's going to have these configuration parameters and here's the code all in one file. So it sounds like, um, I mean, RubyMotion, that community are kind of trying to figure this same stuff out, I guess, right? Because they're, they're, they're kind of doing a lot of internal DSLs to define interfaces so they don't have to use Interface Builder. And mm-hmm. I wonder if there's stuff that you could kind of combine some of their DSL or some of their plumbing with with uh, closure script and a JavaScript runtime and uh, Bob's your uncle. Yeah, the other thing that's interesting about that is you're talking about the build process. You know, having not to go through Xcode. Though. 
Well, it doesn't wouldn't need to be. I mean, it could be could be runtime, right? Like, like yeah. No, all, I, it, it actually is assembled at runtime. Like those um, those nibs, they're just they 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 ship with. As far as I know, they ship with the with the application, and then the first time you want to view. You know that that view hierarchy it it deserializes it from disk and news up some objects. So essentially doing the same thing, but with code rather than with a with a only XML format. Yeah, I was just yeah. going to point out that uh, Jason before mentioned that there were some issues figuring out some of the build stuff, and I was just going to say that Ruby Motion doesn't use Xcode to build its apps either. So there may be some things you can yeah, learn from true. them. But yeah, th- th- that is something that they've been trying to do with uh, with uh, with Ruby Motion. That, that sounds like another thing for me to learn, which is really interesting. Because <laughs> I, I don't know. I, like it's it's like I feel like the youngest old fart ever in development. Um, like I, okay, I remember a time where I knew about all the libraries that existed. This is like, you know, it's like uh, whenever I go to the Ruby world for a while, I'm like. I have to like find the Ruby expert and go. Wait, what XML library are we using this month? I can't remember. You know, right? Is it still Nokugiri? Am I going to look like silly if I use it? <laughs> you know. Well, that's um, the good thing about iOS development is you just have to use the Apple tools, and you'll always be using the best tool. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's easy to keep track of. There's just one website. Unless the website goes down for two weeks. Yeah, that is one thing though that I like about Xcode is that, you know, you can look at look at the documentation from the IDE. Yeah, I you know so the thing I, I have to say I mean I have to since I'm talking about not using Xcode this whole time I have to say as IDEs go I'm not an IDE person but as IDEs go Xcode is pretty good. Uh, I, I mean I have. You know, if I didn't mind hitting the up arrow 25 times to go up 25 lines, for example, I probably would be a pretty happy ID user in Xcode. I mean, I can't tell for sure, right? But I have been surprised with both uh, how thin it is in terms of a GUI for development and for the most part finding all the tools there on the file system and how useful it is as a visual metaphor for uh, a visual interface for programming. I think that's, I think that's interesting. So I, I, I feel like maybe the, one of the reasons that you can do this kind of, kind of alternative development practices of using something like Vim and the command line tools is because the guys that built Xcode, although they, Xcode certainly has a lot of issues, it is pretty nice the way it's quite Unixy and it is just kind of a wrapper over a bunch of command line stuff. So you can actually get to the underlying things. If you are coming in the, you know, if you're in the Microsoft world, I suspect it would be a lot harder. It would, you, you know, Microsoft wouldn't uh, expose by default, wouldn't build Visual Studio on top of a bunch of command line stuff. They'd just build one big fat library or one big fat. UI. That, yeah, that was my experience, although my experience is kind of dated for Microsoft, is uh, uh, Visual Studio for C++ way back was was pretty much like that. Yeah, I think Apple really do get Unix. Like, now obviously it's then the, the, the whole next step uh, heritage, but mm-hmm. it's nice. To, it's nice to see. I bash on Apple a lot, but they're some they're seriously smart in some ways. Yep, I agree. I'm just wondering, are, are there any other things that you uh, typically have to answer about uh, your setup? 
or or things that you want to tell us about that we haven't asked yet? I think um, part of the reason that I started my Objective Vimmer block was because getting Vim set up for this was not as easy as I would have liked. There's a number of things in the blog, including I have my own script for building and installing Vim that's, that you can reach from there. That helps with that initial hump. So if you would, if you met someone who is a fairly competent Vim user and a fairly competent iOS developer, would you, would you recommend they, they do this or would you recommend, like, is this, do you think this is for everyone or do you think it's, it's kind of, as much a, I don't know, like it could have elements of being kind of, it's a fun hobby in and of itself, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, it's, it's a thing to do, uh, not just a means to an end, but would you say for Joe developer that just wants to, um, knock out an iOS app and also has Vim experience, would you, would you recommend this approach or do you think they should kind of stick with, stick with Xcode? Yes, I think I would need to know even more detail. Like, <laughs> you know, a good, you know, good consulting answer. well it's yeah it's like um i mean part of the reason why i like the open tool chain is because you know i'm happy to have people who want to use emacs use emacs and the problem with apple just saying here's xcode here's the bundle we're only going to document this one true way even though there's all these tools over here right you can use you know we're not you know it's not worth our effort to make sure those stay the same or you know for the most part However, that works, right? We're not going to tell you. Um, I, I, I'm very convinced that you know the IDE is not generally the best way for every person. I, I just don't think that's true. So, is it uh, one of those? Is it like a Vim keybinding uh, kind of plugin for Xcode that might be fine for some people? I've seen people write basically pretty thin iOS apps which don't. You know, which is basically spending 50% of your time in Interface Builder and then wiring up some silly stuff, right? Is Vim worth it for that? Probably not. It's going to depend. Yeah, I could see that. With uh, I, I do mostly Rails development. I, I have been picking up some iOS contracts lately. And uh, like I said, I use Emacs. So if it's something where there's a lot of back-end logic where I'm going to be shoveling a lot of uh, code around and... And you know, navigating through the files, and you know, I, I'm much, I'm much more proficient at doing that in Emacs than I am in Xcode. And right. so, if I'm going to be spending a significant amount of time there, then yeah, it makes sense to make that trade-off. And otherwise, yeah, I totally get it. You know, if if I'm just doing mostly, you know, boilerplate wiring up, you know, not a lot of of uh, code twiddling and 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 uh, text shoveling, then yeah, maybe it's it makes sense just to stick with Xcode and just you know follow the the conventions that are there because I'm not going to have to do a whole lot outside of that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. All right. Well, um, I know that Pete has to get off early, off the show early today. I I have some other things that I need to get to as well. Um, thanks for coming on the show. We're going to get into the picks now. Pete, do you want to start us off? Sure. I've got a lot of picks. Okay. Anytime we talk about Vim, I have a lot of picks. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I had to actually stop. I was making, I was kind of writing these down as we were talking and I had to stop writing down at some point. So maybe I should stop talking and start picking. Pick number one is a concept called No Mouse Fridays. So this, uh, this is something that 
a fellow thought worker of mine, Chris Martin, started on our current client. And um, the rule is you unplug your mouse on Fridays and you don't use your mouse. So this is really good for forcing people to learn their keyboard bindings and how to navigate without using the mouse, which is generally a more productive way of doing things if you can force yourself to do it. So I recommend people try it out. Maybe try No Mouse Friday mornings and uh, see see how it goes. It's good. It's good fun. But can you uh, play StarCraft without the mouse? <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. You shouldn't be playing StarCraft on Friday morning. You should be at work. <laughs> <laughs> Pick number two is at code. Uh, we, we kind of touched on this briefly, but I think people should definitely check it out um, as an alternative to Xcode. Maybe uh, less extreme than kind of going the the all the all vim command line route, but but definitely along the same lines of of uh, using an alternative tool and um, maybe a better tool. So yeah, check out at code, and then a few vim picks. So uh, I've been I'm actually about halfway through a book called uh, Practical Vim by Neil Drew and it is really really good I've had a, I've had a really really hard time finding like good long form documentation on Vim isn't that It'll, a prog title it is a prog title and it's really good it's, it's a really really good balance of like teaching you the big the basics but working all the way up to pretty advanced stuff it's in nice kind of cookbook format it's awesome uh, really really like it and the guy that wrote that Neil Drew also has a um a series of uh, uh, screencasts um, at vimcasts.org. I think he's thinking about making this a subscription service, but for the time being, it's free. Really, really awesome. And he has the most amazing Scottish accent that you could just listen to forever. Um, just go to vimcast.org straight after you finish listening to this podcast and um, just fire up one of the videos and listen to it, and you'll be enthralled. They're um, really good, too. Yeah, no, not just are. for the Scottish accent. The content's yeah. awesome. Yeah, the content. Yeah, yeah, content's good too. <laughs> and um, my last pick is a Chrome plugin called Vimium. So this is a plugin if you want to use Vim uh, navigation, keyboard navigation for Chrome. It works really well. Uh, the only problem is after you get used to having it, you start typing random characters into other people's browsers, and they <laughs> think you're a weirdo. <laughs> and uh, that's it. Awesome. All right, I've got a couple of picks. My first pick is uh, Vim Golf. I think it's at vimgolf.org. I'll put a link in the show notes to be sure, but that's an exercise that will also... Uh, um, basically, it keeps track of the number of keystrokes that you use to get the right content in the file. And uh, yeah, when, when, you, when you put in the solution, what it does is it actually keeps track of your solution, and then you can see the other solutions within a certain number of places of yours so um, let's say it takes you 25 keystrokes um, then it'll put you in the middle of the 25 keystrokes and then you can see um, the other solutions above and below yours so usually you can see people who did it in 24 or 23 keystrokes and then you can learn some tricks for Vim that way. Yes, I I hosted a, a Vim meetup in Cleveland um, and uh, the most successful times that we had was when we paired everybody up and we went to Vim Golf, we selected a problem, 20 minutes working on the problem, five minute bio break, five minute discuss what happened, and people loved it. Like The amount of stuff that they learned in those is pretty amazing. Yeah. My other pick is kind of a troll, and that's Emacs. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I, I re, I've used Vim for years. I was a systems administrator and Vim is basically on everything. But, uh, yeah, I just, I made the switch last year. Um, I was working on a team that we were pair programming and we chose Emacs as, well, they chose Emacs and then I joined the team. But, uh, anyway, it's just, it's, it's really, I've, I've, I figured a lot of things out that make it fit well for what I do. And, uh, you know, and then I use Vim when I need to. So I'm not bashing on Vim at all. I just, I just really like Emacs. So anyway, um, Jason, what are your picks? So I think for the first one, I think I'm going to be a little self-serving here. I noticed that we were talking about a lot of things um, where I worry about people going to do them without being able to find the right documentation. So I'm going to have a link to a blog post of mine that I have that documents how to get all the stuff installed just because I don't want to see people banging their heads. After that, I've got two links that... I like because they really make people think about how we're developing mobile apps. One is a framework that has just been announced called Lambda Native. Lambda Native. I can never remember how to say that. That's a problem with learning from the internet. Lambda? Yes. I can never remember how to spell that. (laughs) It is a scheme framework for cross-platform development that supports Android and iOS as well as Windows and Linux, etc. And I have found it really fascinating and I'm looking at it. And uh, the last pick is the slides from a talk given by Nathan Sorensen. And what he's done is used Scheme as an intermediate way to compile Clojure to get apps running on an iPhone. So closure running on an iPhone by being compiled to Scheme. Wow. That's all I have to say to that. Wow. <laughs> Yo, dog, I heard you like Lisp. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and wrap up the, the show. Thanks for coming, Jason. It's been fun to talk about, and it's definitely one of those mind bends that I might just try out. Yeah, me too. Cool. <laughs> it has been great talking to you. Yeah, all thanks right. for coming up. Thank you. Yep, yeah, we'll catch you all next week. <laughs>